All right, guys. Uh, this is going to be episode number three of the Big Ben Strongcast. Uh, my name is Brian Chambers. I own Big Ben Strength and Conditioning, and I'm here today with Alexis Rojas. Thank you for having me today, Brian. Sure. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about a couple really exciting things going on. So first, I want to introduce myself. Again, I'm Alexis Rojas. I'm the program director of the Pediatric Behavioral Health Center here in the Behavioral Health Navigation Program. I have 10 years of experience in policy work specific to mental health. I am a researcher and I also do clinical practice. So um, on the side, maybe you could call me a strength athlete. I do strongman and have been into some form of strength training for many, many years. So the topics we'll be discussing aren't just theoretical to me. They impact my own day-to-day -day life and the lives of my patients. Um, the fun caveat that all medical professionals give, yep. everything we're talking about today is strictly for conversation. So please seek medical guidance from your primary care physician or whatever treatment team you're currently working with. And I'll do my best not to get in the weeds too much with the research stuff, but we're hoping you guys can apply this to your day-to-day -day life. Yep. Awesome. Um, okay. So real quick, we're going to, for all the stuff that we're talking about today, it's not going to be for uh, clinical uh, diagnoses. Uh, but it's going to be for subclinical. So can you talk about what that is a little bit? Yeah. So for the purposes of today, what we're going to be talking about is how exercise impacts subclinical symptoms. What does that mean? It's a way to kind of say you have some symptoms that feel uncomfortable or difficult to manage, but you don't kind of meet that full criteria for a diagnosis. So Brian, this is most of us walking around. So we've got some symptoms of maybe increased anxiety or some kind of depressive like symptoms, but not to the point where we need a psychiatrist or we even need to get a diagnosis. Right. Okay. Uh, sweet. So that kind of, it, the subclinical is, is good because it helps us understand that every, everybody is probably walking around with a little bit of this. Um, but it's kind of nice to, nice to see the fields of mental health and exercise, uh, together is, uh, is starting to grow a little bit. And it's something that we've all, at least in the, at least coaches have all known that mental health and exercise are hand in hand. They go together very well. Um, so it's refreshing to see that it, it's actually being put into practice. Uh, so can you kind of talk a little bit more about how that's being done? Yeah, sure. So we have got tons of interdisciplinary teamwork that's going on in the field of mental health and physical health. So we've got lots of folks from the psychology department. We've got lots of folks from social work. We've got athletic trainers. We've got physiologists. And what we're all kind of coming together and talking about is how can we make everyday change to our clients or for you or your athletes um, and managing some of these symptoms. And we know that combining all of our fields together is going to be one of the best ways to do that. So I'm excited as a clinician, and I know that you're excited as a coach to be yep. able to apply these things mm -hmm. day to day practice. So I'll talk maybe uh, this might be a good transition point for me to talk a little bit more about kind of the development of the field before sure. we get into sure. symptoms. Okay. Well, can you kind of talk about what it was and where it's going now? Yeah, perfect. Okay. Thank you. So 
we won't, I won't bore you guys with this kind of long history lesson about the development of what we used to think was the mind completely separate from the body and, and how that's evolved over time. And it, we're to the point now where we've got some big projects going on in Tallahassee at some of the clinics here where we're saying or we're exploring that relationship between physical and mental health to the point of managing chronic pain um, to the point of improving everyday quality of life. And these are these are big deals. So science has come a really long way. We've got a long way to go, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so talking about where we're going with that, um, we want to talk a little bit about how we can manage symptoms of some of these subclinical um, diagno uh, diagnoses, specifically anxiety and depressive-like symptoms. Um, so talk about, can you talk about those symptoms and then what are some ways that we can start to work on that? Yeah, great. Thank you. So some of the symptoms that you might be familiar with that are subclinical that a lot of us might be walking around with usually are in the form of what we call somatic symptoms. So somatic symptoms are symptoms that appear in our body as a result of things we're experiencing in our brain, really. Uh, some of those symptoms might be um, irritable bowel, like upset stomach, um, diarrhea, things like that. Uh, for increased anxiousness, it may be change in our stimuli, like how we respond to things. So mm -hmm. hypervigilant, kind of on edge a little bit. Right. You also might see things not so somatic, like change in sleep. So you have a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep. You might have a change in appetite. Um, of course, that's very yeah. That's a that's one that you see a lot. I think that's probably one of the first ones to come in for a lot of people is the, the change in appetite. Which could go either way. And yeah. so that could go kind of, um, I hate to say restricting eating, but yeah. slowing your eating patterns right. or increasing and binging. And, or not even feeling hungry. Or not even feeling hungry, yeah. appetite change, right? Um, you know, again, these are things that you need to closely manage because if it gets to the point where it's impacting your day-to-day -day function, mm -hmm. you do need to consult with a professional. So today, let's talk about, uh, let's use a couple of these examples and how we can expect change in them. So I like to focus on some of the anxiety-based symptoms, and that could be like the upset stomachs, mm -hmm. unexplained headaches, fatigue, things like that. Yep. Feeling on edge. Feeling um, on edge. Yeah. And, and that what research is showing is that it may, uh, that regular and consistent exercise may have the biggest change. Right. Talk about that a little bit. Right. And this is really, really exciting. So for those folks like you and I, and most of the people that we know who may experience challenges more severe one week than the next, and we don't necessarily need to go see a psychiatrist for that because we're kind of just managing some day-to-day -day symptoms. We need something that we can put into practice immediately, um, something that we can start to see change and feel comfortable in. As a scientist, I like to think that research is the critical kind of component to anything I recommend. And I know that you are really research-based and informed, and it's important to, for you to know what to do with your, your clients as well. And some of those things that we can manage day-to-day -day are through exercise and there's a difference between regular and consistent exercise and maybe spotty once a month dropping in. So right. can you talk to me about what that looks like in practice? And yeah. then I can kind of, yeah, it's reg. I mean, regular doesn't necessarily mean that it's gotta be any specific type of exercise that any sort of physical activity um, is going to make the biggest difference. And uh, consistent usually for most people means about four to five days a week. Um, it doesn't have to be, 
and it doesn't have to be intense exercise. It doesn't have to be anything specific. Uh, just it's more about the, it's more about the actual behavior change of going and doing something and that thing being exercise has, has that benefit. And so for my purposes, when we're looking at regular and consistent exercise to recommend to a patient kind of secondarily on top of whatever treatments might be required are basic things like behavior activation. Mm -hmm. So getting somebody up and moving and making basic change, Mm -hmm. being able to get out of bed, which then leads to taking a walk once a week and then it leads to exercise daily. So once we build up to that regular exercise we're starting to see change in some of these symptoms that I just reported. So what does that look like? That looks like a lot of things. Um, Somebody reporting constant fatigue will see change Mm -hmm. and how exhausted they are just by increasing their activity. So same with the nervousness and the stomach aches Mm -hmm. and kind of being on edge, what that looks like. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the response to exercise, I think. I think I kind of wanted to talk about the uh, the energy levels. Okay. So I, I, it seems very consistent that when people come into the gym uh, and they talk about having a lack of energy to work out, that kind of getting through that a little bit and and actually doing some exercise pretty consistently increases their energy level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's that's just anecdotally what I've seen with a majority of members who are doing some sort of exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And that bleeds into our topic of what's the actual response, right? So if you had to leave here today, by the time we get done with this podcast, hopefully you'll know a, why is it important to exercise Mm -hmm. for your mental health and B what are some real life things that we can do day to day to make that change? And then three, the final objective is kind of, what's the response to that? And we know the response to that is improved, maybe improved confidence. So I know that you experience this directly with your athletes. What does that look like in the gym? Well, um, a majority of the athletes that I work with are uh, high school students for the most part, or um, maybe middle school transitioning to high school. Uh, And, and uh, at at that age, it's pretty much a constant struggle to learn how to be confident. Um, cause you, you just growing as a person that's, that's hard to find. Uh, and so what I found with the training that we do is that learning how to learning how to do something and learning how to do it really well is one of the, is one of the biggest keys to building confidence. And that I found that when, um, when my athletes are a, every week setting personal records and in, in their lifts or just just being able to do something that they didn't think that they could do the previous week uh, seems to help with with confidence on such a high level. Uh, you can you can see just the thought process change around um, how excited they are about training. Uh, you can see the difference in even posture. Just walking into the door instead of instead of kind of being like this, they're starting to stand up taller and not feel not seem like they're nervous to be here. Um, and that, that isn't just something that stays here. It, it, it lives with them wherever they're at. And I can relate because that is something that translates over into the mental health field is we know improved confidence has tons and tons and tons of results. And mm-hmm. I can certainly follow up with more research articles to support this if, if you guys are interested. So improved confidence kind of trickles through lots of different mental health um, symptomology. 
The other thing that I want to talk about other than just improved confidence, which in itself is huge, is the enhanced day-to-day function. So as a kind of reminder, we're talking about response to exercise. So we know that you're going to improve your confidence, which could even be kind of change in your physical appearance Mm -hmm. and secondary to that, but enhanced day-to-day function. What does this mean? It means feeling good enough to get out and do things, to be moving, to be active, um, to be able to live your life um, in a way that feels comfortable and productive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's uh, improving your day-to-day function isn't just necessarily like what are you physically capable of now? It's, it's, it's also like, what do you mentally feel physically capable of? And having that, having that physical capabilities increase also carries over to your mental understanding of what you're capable of. And that when you can see those grow, it it helps you feel more back to kind of confident, feel more confident in everything that you're doing. Yeah, and this bleeds into the real heavy science stuff, which is this enhanced day-to-day function, this improved confidence that you're experiencing, better management of those symptoms that we talked about, um, can may result in neuroplasticity, which is a big fancy word, which means change in the brain. So we know that neuroplasticity exists. We know that the way your brain communicates right how the synapses communicate with one another, that that change is real and change is possible. So mm-hmm. that instills hope. Yep. That tells people that things, the way that things are now do not always have to be that way. Yep. Take a step back for a second where we started several minutes ago. This is exercise, the impacts of exercise. And now here we are ending with your brain biologically, physiologically changing. I mean, this is huge. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, it's it's such a big topic. Like we'll probably do a whole nother podcast just on that topic alone. Um, but it's, it's kind of good to see that there is, uh, it doesn't just seem like there's differences that are happening when you start exercising in your brain. It's, it's actually being proven that that is the case and that there are actual changes in the brain. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we'll, we'll probably do some more content on that. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Yeah. And, and, you know, those changes kind of to summarize those changes that you just talked about in the body that result to change in the brain. Um, why does that really matter is because it's changing your, it's just, it's changing each and every single day. It's changing the way that you live your life. So we could be up here with theory and research. We could be over here with policy and those are kind of my worlds or in the clinic, but really what matters at the end of the day is that your patient, your client, the person that you're working with, you as an individual watching this, your life is better. Mm -hmm. And if exercise can play a piece of that, then that's what we want to encourage. Absolutely. Uh, well, awesome. I, I'm sure that we could talk on this for a long time, but we'll go ahead and wrap it up there and we'll probably, uh, we'll probably do another one of these on some other topics. Um, so you guys go ahead and, uh, let's do your outro where people, where can people find out more about, uh, what you do and the program that you're running with, uh, TOC, right? So uh, a couple things is we, I've got a couple different hats. So what I want to first encourage you guys is if you have any child zero to 21 who is experiencing any mental or behavioral health concerns, please consult with your physician to get them linked up with services. We like that. We like to call that behavioral health navigation. Um, So if again, your child falls into that category, there is a free service in the community through physician referral. Um, I am the director of that program and I'd be happy to answer questions about that. And 
I, now talk about hours and hours of conversation. I could talk about why getting your kids linked up with services early on um, provides lots of positive protective mechanisms. Um, there's also some cool stuff going on in the area. I, uh, As I'm completing this in phase of my PhD in psychology, we're doing a lot of research on the management of chronic pain with some big partners in the community, suicidality, things like that. So if you're interested in research along those areas, reach out to Brian. I can get you guys some contacts, some literature, some resources to kind of talk about what we're doing in the community. And then finally, be an advocate. Find your voice talk about what's important to you. Um, it doesn't have to be your local legislator, but um, everything, every day you have an opportunity to make change, figure out how you can be a part of that change. Um, reducing the stigma of mental health is one of the most critical things that we can do uh, interdisciplinary across fields. Absolutely. All right. I don't have a good intro or uh, outro like that. You can find me on Instagram <laughs> at Coach Chambers. You can find the gym. Uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Big Bend Strength and Conditioning. And then our website is www.bigbendsc.com. All right. Got anything? That's it. Thank All right, you. cool. Thank you guys.